and welcome back to another episode of Pacific Post-Ups. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Boylan. How are you today, Nick? Yeah, good. Thanks, Lou. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Keen to get into some uh, conversations. Probably our last here before the uh, the All-Star break about the Pacific Division. So we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. Uh, there's been a couple of uh, inter-division games to uh, to round out here to the All-Star break, uh, particularly involving the Lakers, who have actually had two fairly important losses, uh, one to Phoenix and one to the Kings today. Uh, neither of them with Anthony Davis in today's game without LeBron James. What have you made of the, uh, the inter-divisional games we've seen over the last couple of days? Well, that, that Lakers-Suns one, certainly notable, I think, for well, a particular moment and a particular decision by a, a referee. Um, obviously, Devin Booker getting ejected um, with, what, seven minutes left in the third quarter with the double technical. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was out of control, you know, bouncing the ball like he did um, and passing it back to the referee. That's just... Oh, he's committed a murder there. Oh, I was expecting some, you know, Jim Ross WWE commentary. You know, by God, he's, you know, so put that man in half or something like that. I, I, I don't know. It was. It definitely sort of raised a point where you know that there's been games where referees have had an impact and too much of an impact, and that was definitely one of them that sort of uh, got around Twitter. But to the to Phoenix's credit, I mean that could have been a game potentially in past seasons where Booker's gone out. He's been the leading seat, uh, leading scorer for the night, uh, seventeen points up until that stage. Uh, but Phoenix rallied in it, although it was against a a shorter-handed Lakers team, not as short-handed as they, as they have been. But you know, it is a really good win for Phoenix that you know you got twenty-one points from Dario Saric, uh, a vintage Saric off the bench. Uh, you know, 19, 19 from Bridges, 17 from Aiton, 15 from Crowder. They had a really good balanced effort to finish the game strongly and got and got the 10-point win. And, and uh, yeah, although they were against a shorthanded team, I think that is definitely, you know, if we, depending on how they go this season, that could, that could be a win that we look back at and say, you know, that was a bit of a, you know, bit of a standing point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm willing to go so far as to say I, I would almost guarantee that two years ago, they would have lost that game the moment Booker got ejected for, like you said, just an outrageous piece of bad sportsmanship. Um, I, I question whether he really has a spot in this league anymore after that, but obviously the referee <laughs> decided he wasn't allowed to take part anymore. And that was, I think I saw a tweet, uh, uh, this summed up how I felt about it, which was, you know, what a shame in a nationally televised game to see one of the best young stars in the game get ejected for pretty much nothing. Um, but yeah, it, it's a credit to the Suns. And I actually think it was, it was good for them to, you know, have to play a, a short period there without him. Uh, these aren't bad, you know, points of preparation for the playoffs that you could have someone go down with an injury or uh, they could get ejected in the playoff game and to be able to hold the fort without your leading scorer. And, you know, I think most people would say your best player, if not your second best player, was uh, was important for them. Um, and it, it probably leveled the, uh, the equation to a certain extent with the Lakers not being able to have AD out there. Yeah, 100%. Um... The, the Davis one is, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a continuing storyline to see how they sort of keep things afloat. Um, we obviously talked about it um, to extent last week. But I think probably the one of the things I, I think that's been lacking from the Lakers, at least, has been just the, the energy. And I think particularly I noticed it more in that Phoenix game because of how energetic they were against Golden State, where they won that game in the first quarter was probably one of the better Laker games that I've 
that that we've seen in months, maybe. Um, at least that type of performance where they're incredibly active defensively. I know they have a league best defense, but there is a difference between sort of them defending well and defending like they did against Golden State, playing very up tempo. There was a couple of plays, particularly from LeBron, who probably listened to like a little bit of that criticism and was was on like from from the jump you know he jumped the passing lanes with you know a pr- pretty good energy for a guy and you know in what in his 18th season um so i i think that the the contrast between their energy in in the in the golden state game versus the phoenix game was something very notable and i'm not sure if that's a personnel thing um in terms of the guys that they lost i mean you lose energizers like McGee and howard off the bench in that front court Trez does some similar things for the Lakers, but not on the defensive end. Um, so it is an interesting one if they need to try to get a spark plug. But the, the difference between their like sort of yeah highly engaged performances and the ones where they're looking a little bit lackadaisical is quite stark. Yeah, I, I thought it was telling that um, Trez got the start against the Suns and just quite frankly uh, didn't look fantastic and. Today, they went with Damian Jones, of all people, against uh, the Kings, who, honestly, Damian Jones might not be in the league next year. Uh, he's bounced around a little bit now and doesn't seem to stick too much. So I, I really think it's telling for where they sit with Trez. And obviously, Trez is a you know fantastic player, but I just don't think they see him as a starter. Um, and it's starting to maybe make me question a little bit whether that was the right spend uh, on the, in the off-season. Um, I know it provides great bench depth throughout the, the regular season, but if it goes to show again that um, against starters, when you press him into into more minutes or bigger roles, he doesn't seem to really be able to hold his own. The uh, the loss to the Kings today, did you make anything of that uh, from either the, uh, from the Lakers' perspective or from the Kings' perspective? Did you make anything from that as a win? I mean, for the Lakers, not... A, it's it's not one that I think is like a really big one when you look at the guys that they had out. I mean, um, <laughs> Alfonso McKinney played 16 minutes. Um, Jared Dudley yeah. played 14 minutes. Um, it's, yeah. Um, <laughs> they had a lot of guys out. And I think particularly from a defensive standpoint, if you've got LeBron and Gasol out, that's massive. Um, because really, like LeBron is your kind of is your barometer. So I think particularly on the defensive end, when, when like you see LeBron, you know, jumping the passing lanes and you know sort of blocking shots and getting steals and stuff like that, it does really energize your team. And without him out there, and Gasol, much has been made about sort of his, you know, whether he's declining or not. Obviously, he's declined since these days at the Grizzlies, but if he's had a really sharp decline from his you know, little postseason run with the Raptors is that, you know, he, he obviously his lateral quickness isn't what it used to be. It never was like the quickest player there anyway. But yeah, when, when, you, when you're down that amount of players in terms of defense, I think that, yeah, definitely you're, you're, you're prone to giving up 120 points to the Kings. But I think, you know, SAC fans, this is a win to be excited about. I know you're playing against a shorthanded Lakers team, but there hasn't been much to cheer about. They've been, they've won two out of their last 10 and they played damn well and no Tyrus Halliburton. So I think that's really awesome. Buddy Heald 
went absolutely bonkers. 11 of 15 from the field, 7 of 11 from downtown for 29.6 boards and 6 dimes. Then you get 23 from Fox. Barnes had 20. They only played seven guys, but I guess you could say eight because Defon Jeffries played six minutes. But, you know, good on Sacramento for the win. I was a big fan of this. Yeah, just a couple of just a couple of notes from my end. One was that um, De'Aaron Fox, and he did it again today, has become a really good player down the stretch for the Kings. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, obviously he's someone that can get his own bucket or if you get him a high ball screen, get him going downhill. Um, he's really good at making those short little floaters in the paint. And he made a couple of key buckets down the stretch today. And like you said, Buddy Hill just went bananas, um, which was important because they did lack some serious depth, uh, as you uh, as you kind of pointed out today. And uh, the other interesting thing for the Lakers, and we kind of touched on this last week, is uh, Kyle Kuzma actually managed to step into a bigger role today. He's very good. Uh, yeah, 10 of, 10 of 20 from the field, 4 of 10 from 3. Um, and actually, you know, showed that kind of microwave scorer that he showed on and off throughout his first couple of seasons in the league. So good for Laker fans as well. If you take a positive out of it, you know, you had your two best players out and, um, you know, didn't embarrass yourself in any way, shape or form. No, almost lost an overtime win. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, and they really had to stretch the bench. I mean, it, it was a game today that probably made you start to wonder at times whether Wes Matthews is kind of washed at this point. Um you know, he's, he's looked kind of shaky at best this year. Um, and he certainly didn't look much better today. But, you know, uh, Harold could get some extra minutes uh, and get a bit of rhythm going as well. So I, if I was a Lakers fan, I wouldn't be concerned about today's result. I'd be more concerned about the loss to the Suns, although the Suns are a perfectly respectable team to lose to. Um, just uh, jumping across the hallway here. Uh, to another LA team that's lost a couple on the trot. The uh, the Clippers have not necessarily had the greatest uh, run here into the All-Star break. They do have the Wizards tomorrow, which could potentially be a win for them. But at the moment, they've lost uh, their last couple. Uh, what have you made of where the Clippers are heading into the All-Star break? Definitely some massive marquee matchups that they've had, that, which is always sort of a good litmus, litmus test to see where a team is at. Granted, Kawhi missed the game against um, against Boston, but that game against Milwaukee is probably one of the better regular season games I've seen in a really long time. Definitely one of the best this season. Um, and it was really like it was it was it was on from the start. I mean, both teams kind of struggled to get the get their shots going, but you know it was, it was pretty neck and neck for the first half before the Clippers really started opening things up. Um, I started getting going. Lou got some stuff going as well, and they just they just looked a lot better. Um, Kawhi had a absolutely filthy spin and slam that was awesome, um, and yeah, it was just a really 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 good game. But the Clippers late were kind of terrible, like nineteen points in the fourth. And probably the the big sort of storyline, it was one that got posted around. I think this was after the the Celtics game. It definitely affected them late. It's just that Paul George has had seven points in his last couple of fourth quarters on three of 19 shooting from the field, one of 11 from deep, and he's 25% shooting uh, in the clutch this season. So while George has had a pretty damn good bounce back year, I think that his clutch performances, particularly in those two games, I think I think especially against the Bucks, was yeah, it, it's pretty alarming. I think Lou. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought that Bucks game, Bucks Clippers, was just a good game of basketball. Um, I think both teams played fairly well. And you are right, the Clippers and Paul George specifically haven't been that great in clutch situations. Uh, I think compared to other teams with a similar record, they're one of the worst, if not the worst, clutch team in the league. Uh, and I do wonder at times if that comes back to their reliance on jump shooting, which they're one of the best jump shooting teams in the league. But at the end of the, the end of the day, if you're not, you know, taking the ball to the rack um, down the stretch, it kind of makes you a bit predictable from an offensive perspective. Uh, and we looked at what, you know, the Bucks did and everyone's talked about Giannis's signature kind of dunk in that game, but they swung the ball around until eventually they could find Giannis in a position to attack the rim. Um, and I just wonder if, you know, Ty Lue needs to perhaps look into ways that they can, you know, get going downhill a little bit more in these clutch situations so they're not so reliant on, you know, make or miss contested jump shots. Yeah, they, you're 100% right. The the predictability of their offense late can really, you know, you know where they're going. They're going to Kawhi. They're going to, they're going to George. And whether that's, you know, Kawhi in the post or you're trying to get like um, George open for a jump shot or something like that. I, I, you just don't – you have a fair idea of where it's going. Um, one player who I forgot to mention who was really good in that third quarter was Serge Ibaka. And, and whether it's, you know, maybe getting him more shots, um, I'm not 100% sure. There is, there is a player who had a really good game against the Celtics, so I'm very intrigued to see, particularly considering he only played three minutes against Milwaukee. Um, obviously, had to play. Ty Lue had to change this, uh, the rotation around with Kawhi out um, against Boston, but um, not not Pat Beverly, but I, I guess how do you see uh, the Clippers' other point guard um, factoring into things? Because he did have a good game against Boston. Are we uh, by not Pat Beverly? You mean Reggie Jackson? Correct. There you go. I was about to say we could be talking about Terrence Mann, but I, I highly. I'm doubt a big his... fan of Terrence. Mann. Oh, two from the field. I don't think you were talking about his good game against Boston, considering that was fairly quiet. Yeah. But. Uh, I mean, Reggie Jackson, he's been making shots. I, I, I have, you know, been fairly critical of him in his early part of his career, particularly some of the stuff that went on about him wanting his own team in OKC and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I thought that, you know, at times he was overrated, but I think if anything, he's probably gone the other way now. Um, where having been picked up as a buyout guy last year, he's probably underrated. But it, it feels like when he kind of plays within his own role, um, He's been quite good. He's actually quite a reasonable catch-and-shoot guy these days. You can kind of trust him to make the uh, the three ball. And, I mean, compared to Pat Bev, he, he's actually capable of running a little bit of pick-and-roll, uh, which is important because, you know, whilst I'm all for putting the ball in Kawhi and, uh, and Paul George's hands, I think just showing opposition teams a different look from time to time is important. Uh, and I think Reggie Jackson uh, provides that. Obviously, he's not going to go five of six from three every night like he did against the Celtics. Um, but he made a couple of big buckets um, close in that game, as did Lou Williams to kind of keep him in it because Paul George, I guess, cooled off a little bit in the second half, having started uh, the game out on fire in the first mm. half. Um, but yeah, he's integral for them. If they don't pick up a point guard, uh, you know, in a trade or at the, the deadline, and that's alluding to something we'll be getting to shortly, then, um, then I think he really does need to be an effective player for them because Luke Kennard's not really contributing a hell of a lot in and out of the lineup at the moment. Yeah, the Kennard one's really interesting. Um, it was definitely good to see Lou have somewhat of a bounce back performance. I think his play is absolutely critical, really regardless of what the Clippers do at the deadline. Um, 
but you know he's definitely if they want to really go hard to try to upgrade their bench or try to get a you know a starting another starting quality point guard in their lineup you know he's he's definitely someone who'd be on the on the trading block and i think that they've said that he's they're, they're open to trading him so yeah luke canards needs to find a way to be a productive member of this rotation i don't think that it's going to mean that he's playing 25 minutes a night. And particularly in the playoffs, he's probably not going to be even playing 20. But he needs to, there needs to be a way for Ty Lue and for him to, you know, have a bit of a discussion and try to get something out of that, you know, of that pickup where he's, you know, adding, you know, eight to 10 to 12 points on a nightly basis because that's what they need off their bench. You know, they're already a fantastic shooting team. And that's what Luke does so well. So, to have another weapon out there who can, who can score when, you know, down, down the stretch, if you've got, you know, Kawhi and, and Paul George, you know, the, you know where the ball's going. If they're able to fire, you know, the ball out to someone, a reliable shooter like Canard, and he's able to stay out there on the floor and not be a, a total defensive liability, I think that, yeah, he, his, his play is going to be crucial to what the Clippers do in the postseason. Yeah, and I think to a certain extent for the Lakers and the Clippers, a bit of the tale of their uh, their postseason might be whose role players step up and become more effective. I mean, I, I think we both know that they've both got two high-level stars, um, and I am confident that Paul George will bring it a little bit more in this postseason. But at the end of the day, it might come down to whose depth shines through a little bit stronger because there's question marks hanging over both of the, the Lakers and the Clippers' depth, particularly as it relates to their bench. Mm. Um, and how that shapes out in the postseason might, you know, certainly have a say in who comes out of the Western Conference. With a, all due respect to Utah as well, who are looking fairly competitive. And, and I guess on that note, that leads us to our main feature segment today, um, and that is both the Clippers and the Lakers, and their uh, and what they might look to do at the deadline or off the buyout market as we're kind of coming to that pointy end of the year. Um, so we've both come up with some trade and buyout ideas for the respective teams, um, and we'll start with the we'll start with the Clippers. Why don't you get us uh, underway here with your first trade idea? Nick? Okay, so my uh, with uh, as we were talking about playmakers and potentially adding a another point guard uh, trade that I had in mind was ringing up the Mecca and seeing if the Knicks would be happy to receive Patrick Patterson. Lafondu Cabangeli, a 2023 and 2025 second round picks. You probably need to throw in another pick, to be fair, for the Clippers to get back Alfred Payton. So I've gone with someone who's not exactly known for being, you know, the best scoring guard. I mean, he's got, you know, a career average of 11 points per game. You're not expecting him to set things alight. Granted, he does have his best scoring average in quite a while. Um, but, you know, he's a guy who's got 12.4 uh, points per game for the Knicks. Only 3.7 assists because he's, he's certainly he's – not, he's not averaging the same amount of assists he was last year. But I still think that as a solid playmaker, someone who can run pick and roll and is fairly dependable, I would say, with the ball in hand if you don't ask him to do too much, he's a type mm-hmm. of guy who could stabilize things a little bit for the Clippers – at least as some point guard depth. Um, but again, he's not, he's not someone who's going to move the needle as, as much. So Clippers fans might be wondering, you know, why, you know, 
what's the benefit of going with him over Pat Beverly? I, I, I think Peyton's probably pick and roll play is what gives him the nod, at least a little bit. You know, he's a pretty efficient. He's not. He's not going to, you know, Julia from outside. You know, he's, he's shooting twenty four percent from three this year on on one point eight attempts per game. That's not his game. But in terms of solidity and like someone who's going to be fairly rock solid from the point guard position, I definitely think that you're not really giving up too much to get him. You know, Pat Patterson's not really a guy who's going to factor into the rotation too much in the playoffs. Cabin Gelly's a young piece, but again, you know, if you're the Clippers, don't worry about your young pieces. You're trying to win a chip. And, you know, you're flicking away some second-round picks. I think, you know, that would be enough for New York to at least pick up the phone and say, all right, let's have a chat. Yeah, um, and I certainly think this is a, an interesting idea um, from your end. And uh, and firstly, I think that the Knicks would certainly be open to trading him. Um, they've got kind of an excess of point guard-ish ball handler types uh, now that they've picked up Derek Rose. And I think either Alfred Payton or Austin Rivers are probably going to get traded. Um, at some point because they've just got more depth than what they need uh, in that department. And for what it's worth, I'm not sure you would have to throw in a third, second round pick. Um, I think from the Knicks perspective, I look at this and I go, will you move off of a guy that's not really part of your long-term future in exchange for a couple of uh, second round picks and a guy in Kevin Gale that might, if he pans out well, be a bit of a three and D type center. And if not, certainly not the end of the world. Um, you were probably a little bit too nice to Patrick Patterson because he is washed. <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, I'm sure they would just kind of have him sitting on the end of the bench and they might even, you know, buy mm. him out or wave him or move on with him. But I, I think that's a good trade for both teams. I, I guess I have uh, one like or two questions, depending on how you look at it with this deal. If you were to trade for Alfred Payton as the Clippers, does he start and does he finish? I think he starts. Uh, I'm not sure if he closes because I'm almost leaning the – the offensive potential of someone like Reggie Jackson, I think is, is someone who you might go with closing just to give you a slightly more proactive ball handler and someone who could probably, you can not probably definitely do a lot more offensively than Alfred Payton. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think that he's going to close, but I think, yeah, as a stabilizing presence, someone who could get some pick and roll going, you know, Payton probably might, might not even play like, 26 minutes a night, maybe 25. But I think he's a good option. And even even if Lou looks at him like a backup point guard, then I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Um, if you you want some different looks, at least at, from your primary ball handler. Yeah, uh, and, and that's probably the way I'd do it as well. I think you can afford to start him. I don't think you want him finishing because I think other teams will uh, sag off of him yep. and kind of you don't, you don't want your playoff hopes to be hung on the hat of whether Alfred Payton is making corner threes or not. But I certainly like the idea of starting him. He is a, a reasonable playmaker. And more importantly, he's not going to let you down on the defensive end. No. Uh, gives you a different look. I mean, Pat Bevel. So he's, he gets injured a lot these days. He's not exactly reliable as far as definitely going to be there in the postseason. So even if it's just a bit of extra insurance, like Pat Bev insurance, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah, 100%. Um, that's, that's certainly a good idea. Uh Moving on to your, your second trade, which I've, uh, well, I've got in front of me here, which I'm quite curious about. Do you want to read that out for the listeners? Yeah, so I did mention that Lou Williams could be on the trading block. And although the player involved in this deal coming to the Clippers is it's almost playing his way at, <laughs> into a more expensive trade package for this team, I'd, you're probably going to have to do You might need to do a little bit of tinkering for it. But I'm going to do a little bit of a trade with 
the Pelicans, and I would be offering New Orleans, Lou Williams, the aforementioned Patrick Patterson and Mofondu Cabangeli. Two second-round picks from 2022 and 2023, potentially a first-round pick considering I think there might be a bit of a long list for this player now. And the Clippers would receive Lonzo Ball. Yes. Now, I mean, uh, uh, if the, if they could get it for this package, I would absolutely love that deal for the Clippers. Um, and before we get into kind of what Lonzo would offer offer the Clippers, uh, as you kind of said, his trade value has been going up exponentially in the last couple of weeks. If uh, if the Pelicans were to turn around and say, uh, you know, we want uh, Terrence Mann, we want Daniel Otoru, we basically want every every young asset that's not stapled to the floor uh, in a, in LA. Would you be happy to basically part way with any of the young guys to get this deal done if you're the Clippers, or is it kind of dependent on it being this package? No, I, I'd definitely be open to chucking in a couple of players like Man and Otoru. Um, you don't want to gut your depth or in terms of youth too much, particularly, you know, if Kawhi doesn't come back and then you sort of grasping at straws together. But at the same time, I think Lonzo's fit on this Clippers team would be excellent. Um, we've seen his shooting develop like crazy over the last few weeks. He's up to 39.6% from three this year, and it's on 7.7 attempts. So it's not like he's just chucking up a couple. He's supremely confident in his shot. Everyone already knows that he's one of the better defenders at the point guard position and his playmaking is still, well, he doesn't have the ball in his hand as, as much this year because of point forward Zion evolving um, into a different kind of beast. He is someone who is who makes good passes, makes smart passes. And I, I, I think he's honestly one of the more plug and play point guards that you can slot in, which is why a lot of contenders would be looking at trying to prize him away from the Bayou over the trade deadline. But yeah, I, I, if, if, if if you're remotely close to this for the Clippers and you need to chuck in a couple of more players, then I reckon you do it because I, I really like the fit. Yeah, and I mean, I, I this might be a bit of a sweeping declaration, but I would go so far as if they could say, if they could acquire Lonzo Ball without parting ways with a, a key, key rotation guy at this point, I think they could potentially lose, if afford to lose Willow Williams. I, I, I would say that makes them the guaranteed favourite to come out of the West. Um, he, he just fits this roster so perfectly. Uh, and I mean, I, it would you know, possibly break the brains of some Lakers fans yeah. to watch Lonzo Ball, you know, outgun them from three in a Western Conference Finals. Uh, I would love to see that matchup against uh, against LeBron, you know, the guy that he traded. Um, well, I say he traded. We all know <laughs> how it works over there. But uh, it's uh, it would, yeah, I, I think that would really put them over the top. Um, obviously, I think at this point the Pelicans would be asking for a little bit more, and I don't know what the Clippers could uh, could offer. And I, I, we certainly know that if they could trade for him, Steve Barm would be willing to pay him in the off season. Um, so there could be a potential fit there. But yeah, I really like the idea of that trade as a concept. Uh, if they could work with the Pelicans to get a to get a package done, um, I'm going to move to I guess a couple of trade ideas. I hadn't surprise surprise both of my trade ideas as well. Let let have the Clippers landing a point guard um so the first trade i had a uh, the clippers receiving george hill and okc receiving lou will terrence mann and potentially a second round pick probably the clippers in 2022 mm. what do you make of the idea of acquiring george hill from the clippers perspective i think george hill is another guy who fits his roster quite fantastically um you know 
we're talking about plug and play point guards. Um, I think he's someone who probably the Bucks miss a little bit. Um, he's still proven that he is a very, very solid point guard um, during his time in OKC. You know, someone who doesn't need the ball in his hand. Great when you're playing with two superstars like Kawhi and PG. Still averaging almost 12 points. He wouldn't be overawed by the moment. You know, if you, get, if you need to fling the ball out to him for a late three, I wouldn't be pretty okay with it. And uh, Unless you're sort of waiting for him to at the end of uh, end of the finals game. That's, that's a different story. Um, but yeah, I, I re- I've always been, I think, um, yeah, it got tweeted out on the OTG um, page, I think it was a few weeks ago. And someone who's like one of the most likely, likely players to get traded at the trade deadline. And Hill's perfect because not only is he playing pretty damn well and can fit into a lot of contenders, OKC want a deal. They're going to sell. They want... They're sort of battling a way to try to get into the playing tournament, but if you know if you're if you're the Thunder, you want to you want to sell hard. You want to try to get you know some value from some of these veteran players who aren't going to factor into your plans. And yeah, that, that actually leads to my probably only question is: that, I guess a trade package. Are they going to want the like we need some picks involved um, as well? I mean, I like Terrence Mann a lot, and Lou Will's good, but I don't know. Like, do do we do we need to chuck in a few picks to? To probably get it done, to you know, add add to a add to a franchise that doesn't have a lot of draft picks. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think that the Clippers are certainly willing to part ways with as many you know second round picks as what they could to get a player like this. Um, and it really depends on how you value the Clippers' young guys. There might be someone that Presti mm. particularly likes. He might like you know Kevin Gale more than he likes Terrence Mann. Uh, I think what helps the, a team like the Clippers trade for George Hill without having to, without being able to or wanting to give up a first is that a lot of the other contenders around the league, whether it's the the Bucks who obviously uh, have had George Hill, or uh, you know the Nets or the Clippers or the Lakers, a lot of them aren't in a position to trade a first round pick. Um, so unless you know you find a team that's on the fringe of contending a little bit more, that's willing to part ways with a first mm. for George Hill, I think the price might be as many seconds and fringish young talent uh, that you can throw on the table. And so I think the Clippers could get it done. Um, we certainly know that Sam Presti's not afraid to say to the Clippers, throw in one more pick. Um, it's something he's done very successfully before. Uh, but I also think that, the, you know, from OKC's perspective, they're probably vested in getting as much of the Clippers' future draft assets as possible because if things go south for them, then that way not only are they going to have access to high lottery picks, but also high second round picks, which, uh, you know, certainly have value on the trade market as well. Um, so, yes, it might be more than one pick in Terrence Mann. It might be two picks. It might be a Toro instead of Mann. You know, it might be a bit of a mix and match combination. But I, I do think at the end of the day, OKC do want to uh, move Hill and if they can get any sort of draft compensation or young talent in, concern, uh, in return, I think they'll be willing to do yep, so. Nice. I like it. Um, the second trade I have, which is a, a little bit more of a shake-up to the Clippers roster, um, but this is, I guess, obviously, we're talking about point guards that can really get the Clippers into their sets and uh, and help them kind of function uh, an efficient offense, would be the Clippers receiving Ricky Rubio uh, and Minnesota parting ways with uh, Pat Bev and Pat Patterson. Pat Patterson just being salary filler, Pat Bev being someone that could potentially fit in Minnesota or could be moved on again to another contender. 
uh, Daniel Otoro and a Clippers 2022 second round pick. How do you feel about a uh, Ricky Rubio? In definitely another point guard who I could see fitting into things quite nicely. Um, probably not as much as Hill. I think uh, Rubio's off off ball is probably not as strong as Hill or even Lonzo, but he fits more into sort of like what is a really solid playmaker, a pretty stout defender at the point guard position. Obviously, he's not the he's never been the greatest shooter in the world. Um, only you know thirty about 33% from downtown this year um, on his return to, to Minnesota. But he's a guy who's been around. He, know, he knows uh, you know, he knows his way sort of on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, even if he struggles to score as much. But yeah, I, I think that Rubio is a, a pr- pretty good signing. Uh, my, my only worry, I guess the playmaking is definitely an improvement. But yeah, I, I, I Okay, I'll ask this question. Would you rather go with Rubio or go with a Peyton? Those two are probably the hardest to split hairs between. Um, if the price is identical, uh, I'd probably prefer a Rubio unless you have any sort of plans with that money. The benefit with Peyton, obviously, is that uh, he comes off the book sooner and he's a lot mm. he's a lot cheaper. I'd probably go with Rubio uh, if it's just those two head-to-head. But if I have to give up more to get Rubio, I'd prefer to go Peyton. It's that line ball, um, you know. And I, I think uh, I think the Knicks it probably makes more sense for them to be looking to sell a guy like Peyton. So if the price is slightly cheaper, I take Peyton. But if the package is the same, I would take Rubio probably purely because I trust him slightly more from long distance, um, and I think he's got a little bit more big game experience uh, both in a Utah uniform and obviously you can't underestimate the work he's done for Spain over the years, but it's splitting hairs. And I certainly like the fit of a George Hill or Alonzo ball more than I like the fit of a Rubio or an Alfred Payton. Yeah. I, 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 I definitely agree. I think, yeah, it really depends on sort of like the package prices. If you've got those deals sort of sitting in front of you and you can try to get Payton for, you know, give up less. I think that, yeah, he's probably the, the guy that you probably have a look at, but yeah, I, in terms of player wise, I'd probably go Rubio if, yeah, but it's got to be the right deal to try to not gut things too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, the players going back Minnesota's way, I think are good in terms of um, them getting a younger player in Otoru. But also having someone like Beverly, I think for the Minnesota uh, locker room is probably not a bad thing. Um, you know, obviously lose a, a player like that, um, we, we, you know, have heard of how important Rubio has been for that younger team. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the, the decision-making behind signing a player like him was not only sort of what he brings on court, but what he brings off court. So if you're getting some kind of mental leadership, you have a very different kind of personality um, from Beverly to to Rubio, definitely the fire and ice of things. But yeah, I I think that's definitely a good move. Yeah. And I think uh, at the end of the day, you know, any veterans in Minnesota are potentially up for sale at this point. So it could be a short stop if they were to, to do a trade with someone like Beverly, but um, you know he certainly could bring some fire to the Minnesota dressing room. Although last time a you know a passionate competitive player was in Minnesota, <laughs> things didn't end too well. So perhaps that might be a might be a bad idea. Uh, moving on to the uh, the buyout uh, market and any guys we might potentially see there. Did you have someone in mind for the Clippers that you think might be available? Well, I would have liked this guy for to going across the hall uh, to the Lakers more, but considering 
they traded him. It would, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a harder yeah. deal to do. But Clip, a couple of guys I like for the Clippers would probably be JaVale McGee if they want to shore up their front court rotation a little bit with someone who can, you know, block, you know, block things quite well. And JaVale is just a good dude to have in the locker room as well. It's still remarkable how we, we, we talk about like a prime candidate for a contender for their front court, considering, you know, the start of his career. Um, he, he's genuinely like probably one of my favorite players of like uh, quite a while. And I really enjoyed him see, seeing him rebuild his reputation and his NBA career as a member of the Warriors. So, you know, if he gets any closer to another ring, I'm happy with that. And then the other guy I probably looked at um, going away from the point guards and the centers is getting someone who I think also could be on the Lakers is, is, is a good fit um, is Wayne Ellington, someone who can really shoot the hell out of the ball. Um, you know, he's, he's someone that doesn't really fit into things long-term in Detroit. And he'd bring a little bit of bench shooting if they're not super confident in, in what Kennard can do going into the playoffs. I think having a guy like Ellington off your bench who can come in just, you know, whether he's just playing maybe, you know, 10 to 12 minutes and still shooting the ball at a, like a really, really, really good, good level. Um, you know, that's sort of the thing that Ellington's been known for throughout his career. And, you know, he's still still shooting the ball at a really good clip at 43.5% uh, from downtown on 6.2 attempts per game. He's, uh, he's a shooter. And, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'll always be of the ethos that you can never have too many. Yeah. Uh, I, I certainly think both of those, uh, both those trade buyouts have some, uh, some merit there. Um, I think, like you said, you can't go wrong with McGee now. He's he's got that championship pedigree, and quite frankly, it's another six fouls that you could use. You know, when you come up against Jokic or when you come up against Anthony Davis, you know, you're going to need some big bodies in there. Um, and he can certainly hold his own on the defensive end, and he's still capable of catching lobs, um, which gives them mm-hmm. another option, another look. And uh, and El- Ellington's a good shout, um, joining the legacy of Pistons. Shooting guards that find their way to the Lakers. It was KCP, then it was Reggie Bullock, and now it's uh, now it's potentially Wayne Ellington. But you're right, you can't have too much shooting, um, and he's really been shooting the shit out of the ball this year. Uh, Detroit don't really have a need specifically, um, and so I certainly think LA could, you know, look at potentially potentially picking him up, um, and he could maybe fill the role that they'd hoped they were going to get out of Landry Shamit uh, last year. So that's certainly one I don't mind. Um, from my end, and this might just be me sitting here wearing nothing but an Aussie flag, but I'd love to see. Uh, oh, Matt we Dog love it. Go to it. Yeah. Um, basically, just like we said, he's in that mold of a, a defensive, gritty point guard who can shoot a little bit, just enough. Um, good for the locker room. Uh, you know, if you do have to work through guys like uh, Steph or Dame early in the playoffs, he could be very, very handy. Uh, championship pedigree. And um, I think he would be really good for the team culture and offer just enough value on the floor. And I could certainly see Cleveland looking to save a little bit of money as well. And so he might be someone that's available for the team like the Clippers. How do you, how do you feel about that, taking your, uh, your Australian out of your system for the moment? I, uh, my Clippers buyout candidate, um, and I say this sitting here wearing you know, nothing but an Aussie flag, a bit of a mental picture for some of our listeners, is uh, Matthew Delavadova, uh, Delhi, mm. And uh, I just think he'd be a really, really valuable 
uh, asset to the Clippers. You know, a really solid defender, someone that could pick up Curry or Lillard full court if you need him in the playoffs. Uh, he can shoot a little bit, gives you a little bit of juice as a playmaker. Got the championship pedigree, and more than more important than anything, because uh, the Clippers did like this last year in the playoffs. He's just got a big, good bloke energy about him um, that the team could certainly do with. How do you feel about Delhi going to the Clippers? I don't just like it. I love it. Um, to see... I love Delhi's commitment to Cleveland. Um, but, yeah, to see him have a crack at another ring would be really, really good. I mean, obviously some massive bias. But, yeah, he, he's obviously he's had a lot of problems this year um, You know, with his body and he's had concussion issues from that would be a really good story um i think if he got bought out and picked up by someone who you know has a pretty deep postseason run if not wins the whole thing as you said he's someone you could chuck out there for 10 to 12 minutes you know imagine if you know you're you're steph curry you're dame lillard or you know dennis Schroeder, and you've you've had to cop 20 minutes 25 minutes of pat bev and then he comes off and you, you know throw delhi out there to basically do the exact same thing and harass the absolute shit out of you i'm like that's exhausting, and that's pretty cool that you can throw out a couple of absolute dogs like that. And I mean that in the most sincere way possible because they are beautiful dogs. And yeah, I, I no, I, I, I want another photo of Delhi celebrating with the after the finals with a with a corona in the hand and pointing a finger at the camera. And I love it. I love it. Yep, nothing, nothing makes us Aussies over here feel like we're one step closer to the. Uh... The NBA than Delhi looking like a regular bloke, sinking a tin after uh, after winning a chip. Did you have Champion. a? That's it. Did you have someone in mind as a buyout guy uh, for the uh, for the Lakers? Obviously, uh, we've come up with some good ideas for the Clippers, but uh, this, the boys across the hall certainly need some extra depth just as much as the Clippers do. Who did you have in mind as a buyout guy? Well, Ellington's one. I think I can really play for both the LA teams. I think at the moment, um, it's something that. The LA, the Lakers aren't elite shooters on the team. Um, you don't have a lot of guys who I'm like, all right, if Bron's out there and with, I say with Kuzma and AD and, you know, AD's doubled or, you know, LeBron makes the right basketball play and finds an open shooter outside of Alex Caruso, I don't know who the hell you're going to find on that court who's going to be like, yeah, he's getting me a three and I'm going to feel confident about it. So having someone like Ellington, I think is would be massive for a guy like Ron. He loves shooters, loves shooters. So get him another one and yeah, get him a sniper. It'd be great. And then obviously probably one of the big concerns is that, I mean, if, if they could get McGee, it'd be, it'd be great. And if you want like an energy big, you go that route. But, I am thinking of a guy who's currently available. So he's not even, he's technically not on the buyout market. He's a free agent. Um, last time I checked. And I'd go with someone like Dwayne Deadman. So I'm I'm a bit suspect. Um, we talked about sort of how the Lakers front court rotation is currently situated um, in terms of you don't have a lot of defensive right reliability um, from someone like Montrez Harrell. Marcus Ole's getting pretty old and you don't know what his body's going to give you. And although they're more than likely going to roll out Davis at the five, it's pretty handy to have another big guy out there who can, you know, defend a little bit and give you something. And I like, I like Deadman. I think he's been an underrated guy and I've kind of wanted to see him on a, you know, a deep postseason run for a while because 
you know, although he's sort of developed later in his career, that he can shoot pretty damn well um, from downtown and help stretch the floor, which is always handy for LeBron to open things up for him a little bit more. Like if, if, if the Lakers were able to get Ellington and Deadman, I mean, we'd be laughing because they're going to open up, you know, two roster spots potentially. So it's, it is going to be an interesting thing. I mean, the, the other one, like we, we talked about it before is that someone who's actually on his roster, on their roster currently getting 10 day contracts is Damian Jones and not someone who I'd probably be super confident in trusting in the playoffs after, you know, seeing how he's gone in the Golden State and he's certainly done some things that have made me, you know, want to throw my, you know, drink against the wall. But um, he's, a, he's a guy who kind of gives you some similar stuff that they're missing from Howard and McGee. Those like really high energy bigs. You might only pay 10 to 15 minutes a night. Guy can, who's, he gives you some vertical spacing um, he can block shots. He's a he's got a bit of a body to him, and yeah, he's 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 not the most experienced guy in the world. Like trying to get, I mean, Howard back on this roster would just be the best thing, but it's not going to happen. So yeah, I, I don't I don't mind it, but I think that yeah, they need to sort of shore up their front court rotation um, in Lakeland. Yeah, Dwayne Dedman's interesting. I like the year he was a free agent a couple of years ago after his uh, fine season with Atlanta. Um, I was a big believer in him. He had a he had a great year his last year uh, in Atlanta, taking out obviously he did get traded back there at the end of last year. But the, he had a year where he was hitting the three, blocking shots, and then the Kings signed him to a massive contract, and then he looked washed. And I couldn't understand what happened there. Perhaps he was just a fighting a battle with a with the injury. But if he could even be three quarters of the player he was mm. when he had that year that got him that big contract, um, then I certainly think he'd be a great use to really any contender. Because um, that version of Deadman we saw when he was in his finest form in Atlanta was kind of that perfect three and D uh, with a little bit of you know rim rolling center that a lot of contenders want. So I really really like that idea. And as you said, he's available right now if they think he's got any juice left in the tank. Um, I certainly think there's probably one more team that will have a look at him before deciding whether he's done or not. Um, and I'd love to see him get him a chance on a contender with a really simplified. Uh, simplified role, and yeah, like uh, like like you said, they are missing a little bit of their energy kind of rim rolling center that they had last year. Obviously, Montrezl Harrell offers that in more of an undersized way. Um, I think with Philly being contenders, you're right. There's probably not no way Dwight ends up back in La La Land, but it uh is certainly the kind of center that um they could be interested in. And you know, if uh if Damian Jones has got uh you know any juice, it's probably on a contender like this where his role is extremely simple and he's not asked to do very much um, and when an Anthony Davis is fit he can certainly clean up any uh, lapses on the defensive end mm. um, I actually like you know, I don't know whether he'll get bought out now uh, but I like the idea of uh, Nemanja Bialica mm. playing for the Lakers uh, the Kings have only just started using him recently out of pure necessity <laughs> um, he came into the year looking out of shape I mean he's played his whole NBA career Slightly out of shape. Um, I, I don't think the Kings see him as a part of their rotation. Uh, it certainly wouldn't be unlike the Kings to perhaps part ways with him to save some extra cash. Um, and he's a hell of a shooter. Um, as we've discussed several times with this Lakers team, within any contending team, the, the more shooting, the better. Much like you said with Ellington, LeBron loves shooters. And being able to have a guy like Bielitsa that he can chuck it to, he can shoot, shoot with size. Uh, look, he isn't the greatest defensive player, but... Uh, he's got a bit of extra size to him. He's a you know he's a girthy power forward. He can box out a little bit for you, and I, I certainly don't mind the idea of 
the Lakers sniffing around him if the Kings decide to part ways and save a bit of cash. Yeah. In terms of getting another front court body and getting a shoot. As he said, as he said. He was shooting over 40% from town. I really like that fit. He's the type of guy who I think could see fitting into the Lakers quite well. And then that's the type of player who I was actually thinking about the Lakers, but not the elites up. There you go. And moving on to that then, I guess, uh, do you want to give that trade idea you had in mind? Was calling and seeing uh, what uh, what we what we Alfonso McKinney uh, a twenty twenty one Lakers top ten protected first round pick for Mike Mescal. The big moose is someone who's he's one of those vets like kind of like Hill and Al Horford to a degree who's had a pretty good year um, for this young funded team. Give three and a half rebounds, he's half minutes a night, but guy can shoot. You know, he's thirty six percent from downtown on about sort of five five and a bit attempts per game. You know, he's not the I, w- I wouldn't say he's the elite shooter um, when he gets going like a B elite, but he's someone you could probably do a little bit more with in the front court rotation, and probably I'd be more comfortable playing him at the five um, and coming off the bench and being your solitary big. Um, in a second unit. So, yeah, I, I really like the idea of sort of trading for someone like Moose, um, who's someone who has played uh, for the Lakers before uh, for a, a little stint um, back in sort of the back end of 2019. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I can talk myself into the idea of seeing Moose in a Laker uniform. So, I, I love this train. I'll just put it out there. I, I think that'd be a great fit. Uh, the Lakers really shouldn't care about their picks at the moment. Um, because they're going to be late and that's not really where they're at right now. And they do have enough young guys on the roster that that's not a concern. I guess my only question is, are you willing to put Lakers fans through Mike Muscala PTSD after they gave up Zubach to get him last time? Are you 100% sure Alfonso McKinney's not going to become a really good rotation player? Uh, because I think Lakers fans still have night sweats about giving up Zubach for Muscala uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, dealing uh, dealing with Vita was... Uh, that was... <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not the best move they've made, uh, considering they had Davidsa Zubats and Thomas Bryan on their roster. But like, either of those guys would be pretty good on front court depth right now. Um, but yeah, I, all respect to uh, one of the one of the glue warriors. Um, you know, sort of in the in the in the back end of the the dynasty. Um, all respect to Zoe, who had a pretty nice like uh, little double digit game against the Kings today. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty okay getting rid of Alfonso McKinney. Um, when you're going to get a guy who's going to plug in here, he's going to play probably 15, 16 minutes a night, shoot the ball from downtown. He's not the worst defender in the world. He's, he's certainly not going to set the world on fire on that end of the things, but he's a, he's a bigger body than probably B Elite. And yeah, someone who I could probably see yeah, slotting in pretty nicely. Yeah, I, I do really like that. Trading, unfortunately, for Alfonso McKinney. I don't think it's the last time we're going to deal him in this podcast. Uh, do you want to hit me? Uh, do you want to hit me with your second trade idea? Yes, because Alfonso McKinney is involved in this one again. Sorry, mate. You, you got pretty. You got some money that we need to move. So, 
I'm call a, a team that we've discussed already um, in the in this video. It's honestly going to be really interesting to see whether this team does a bit of selling, considering their you know their fans are throwing parades and they're hanging up the above 500 banner in in the one of the greatest sporting arenas in the world. Um, I'm calling up the Knicks, uh, and the Knicks are going to receive Taylor Horton Tucker, Jared Dudley, and Alfonso McKinney. And the Lakers are going to get back Alec Burks. So Burks is someone who I I saw I watched a, a fair bit um, when he was in Utah, and who I saw go to play some decent basketball in Cleveland and come to Golden State and really shocked me for the type of player that he, he is. He was a he, you know for a lottery pick is someone who definitely played like a lot of shooting guard, but is someone who is. Definitely a combo guard type of guy and someone who I think fits a couple of needs for Lakers. He gives you a secondary playmaker off the bench, which is all credit to Alex Caruso. That's not really his game. Like he's, he can, you know, play, he plays point guard, but I, I still think he's like more of an energy guy who, you know, you're going to have off ball cutting, um, you know, spotting up for threes every now and again, getting up for some big old dunks and playing a lot of defense. But Burks is someone who I actually like. I, I, I don't mind in sort of a, a limited playmaker role. He's not someone who averages a hell of a lot of assists. You know, he, he average averaging two assists per game currently um, for the Knicks. But he's someone who is a pretty good spark plug off the bench. Um, I really liked what um, he did for Philly um, after he got traded from Golden State last year um, as as that type of six man guy and. For yeah, as much as um, like pretty good guard depth off the bench, they don't have someone who could really come in and influence things on the scoring end. And I think that Burks is a is the type of guy who can come in and do that for you. Yeah, uh, and I certainly think this is a win win now move. Uh, there are some Lakers fans that uh, would not want to part ways with THT, but at the end of the day. Uh, to rely on him in the playoffs is another question, even though he's had a really promising start to the year. And you're right, Burks brings a versatile skill set. Um, you know, there was a... He certainly played a role last year for Philly, even though they were undermanned in the playoffs. Um, and I think he would certainly bring some value to the table there. And as much as, you know, Jared Dudley's veteran leadership has been good, it's if you can get a, a real player that's going to play minutes, um, that's probably what matters the most there. So I certainly do like that. That deal potentially gives them another look um, at the guard spots if things aren't working out with uh, with your Caruso types or your Schroeder types uh, come the postseason. You could definitely sort of For start a... messing around even with some lineups where, you know, if KCP is struggling like he has in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, where you're throwing out lineups like, you know, you're probably going to get burned a little bit on the defensive end, but you're getting guys like Burks and Schroeder together in the backcourt and having a bit of fun with that and to get, you know, some real like up-tempo scoring going. Because and the other thing is that we, we talked about is that Burks is bringing something else that the Lakers like, which is shooting because he's, he's shooting, you know, 40, 40, above 40% um, again uh, this season where his three-point shot has really started to click after a few lean years at the back end of his time in Utah that he's, it started to get going in Golden State. Shot the ball well in Philly and he's shooting the ball well again uh, in New York. So... Yeah, I think um, when I think of the Lakers, particularly offensively, they're a, you know trying to get a little bit more up tempo. They're a, of course a fantastic defensive team, the best in the NBA. But if they can blow some teams off courts, 
with you know some high scoring lineups and I think particularly to match some other contending teams who have some better bucket getters off their bench uh yeah I, I really like Burks in a like uniform yeah and uh and I think they've got with AD at the five assuming health um I think they have enough guys on the back line that could cover uh, you know some lackadaisical defense at the guard positions if you know that brings them a lot more juice on the offensive end I think that's probably a trade-off worth looking at or at least giving Frank Vogel the versatility to go to if that's the way he wants to uh, attack it come the postseason. Um, I guess uh, from my end, uh, unfortunately, Alfonso McKinney's agent is getting another phone call <laughs> um, because in this world, he'll be going to Orlando along with the same talented youngster we mentioned in Talon Horton Tucker for Ken Birch and a Orlando 2021 second round pick. Um, I just think Ken Birch is a really consummate professional. Um, he brings solid defense, a bit of roll gravity. Um, he's not the tallest big, but he's certainly got some uh, some girth and a bit of muscle in the post if you need, and more from the defensive end than the uh, offensive end. Um, and I think for Orlando, the equation's simple. It frees up those minutes to see what they've got with Bamba, um, and uh, they get a guy in Horton Tucker who desperately adds to their guard rotation, which is razor, razor thin. Um, how do you feel about the idea of Ken Birch on the Lakers? I think this is a really, really good fit, honestly, for the Lakers. Um, Birch is honestly one of, I think, the most... I mean, Orlando's probably not a team that will get too much shine at the moment, considering how they've been going over the last Backup, who's not starting. But Birch is a very, very solid center, who I think would raise some eyebrows um, playing for a contender. Um, you know, he's he's 20. Um, as you said, he's a, a pretty rock-solid defender. You know, he can clean the glass a bit, roll. He's not going to do anything that's eye-popping, but as like a very kind of insurance guy that you're going to be fairly comfortable throwing out there for, you know, 10 to 12, 14 minutes or whatever a night to shore up that front court rotation. I really, really like this one. And um, I, I definitely think it'd get some more ca- uh, casual NBA fans being like, oh, this Ken Birch, he's a good player. I was like, yes, yes, he is. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly been the story of his career so far. It's either A, you don't know him, or B, you're a niche NBA Twitter head who uh, is upset that Mo Bamba's not getting minutes. And he's actually a lot better player than that and deserves a, deserves a chance on a contender potentially. Um, you know, whilst he's still in his late 20s here. The other idea I had, uh, which I guess was a similar concept to your your Burks uh, idea, and that was uh, calling up Houston and acquiring a guy that's been struggling a little bit this year, but uh, looked pretty good the last year and the year before. Um, and that's Daniel House mm. Jr. And the cost would be Wes Matthews, who, as I mentioned earlier, is looking quite tired and a 2021 Second, going back to Houston is a little bit of draft compensation. How do you feel about the idea of a house in a Lakers uniform? And what do you think of that package? I think I really like house um, a lot as a very much a glue guy that you can chuck in. Someone who can shoot the ball. Struggled a little bit in Houston this year, but, you know, he's not alone in that boat. Um, and you're kind of getting a younger version. They're not exactly the same player. House is more of a forward than Matthews is. But I think that um, you're getting that 3 and D that you are hoping to get from Matthews um, a little bit higher level of production and certainly a younger level of production. So 
I'm not sure. The only thing, I'm, if, if Houston want to ask more for it, you, I don't know whether it's you know a couple more picks or you know you you're trying to have a sniff around for a younger player. You know, you you get you start to get greedy and maybe ask for for THD. Um, I'm I'm not sure if that's something that the the Rockets would you know be doing, but. I certainly like it for the Lakers a lot. Someone who you could be pretty confident plugging in there. Um, honestly, I mean, you can muck around with it, but if you, you've, you're starting AD at the five a lot in the playoffs, you'd be pretty comfortable with, you know, the guys on the court. You'd have like Schroeder, KCP, uh, House at the three, and then like LeBron at the four and AD at the five. That's certainly a lineup that gives you enough defensive pop and enough scoring and enough shooting that um, the Lakers will look quite balanced um, on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, I, 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 I really, really like this move. So uh, you raised a good point. Perhaps that package might not quite be enough. If you're the Lakers, how much would you be willing to part ways with if a Houston is saying we're going to want a bit more than a West Matthews salary in a second? I think they're pretty comfortable dealing picks at the moment, as we as we mentioned. You know, they're they're contending. T- they're 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 pro- running champions. I mean, the, the the time is now. So you're pretty comfortable flicking picks, but yeah, whether Houston go and ask for someone like THD because it's not like the Lakers are flush with young talent or even fringe young talent. Yeah, I I think that that'd probably be the, the tricky one. Whether you're giving up two guys who are, you know, playing 15 plus minutes in rotation at the moment for a guy who's probably going to pay only, I don't know, maybe like a top of 22, 25 minutes. Yeah, I think that's going to be a tricky one. A lot of Lakers fans, I think, are going to get sentimental about THT, but it, yeah, it really depends who you're flicking him for. But he's definitely someone who definitely is, is uh, quite likely to get moved. Well, not, not likely, but uh, I, I don't think Lakers fans should be surprised if uh, THT gets uh, moved along for a more proven bench or potentially starting lineup caliber guy. Yeah, and I agree. And I think a lot of that sentimental value is there because, you know, there's certainly some promise there, but at the end of the day, he's also going to be a restricted free agent. Um, mm. At the end of this year, the Lakers are only going to be willing to pay him so much. Um, I guess just uh, ending on that trade and, uh, and ending on a, a bit of a niche, humorous note, if uh, the Lakers trade for Daniel House um, and the playoffs are played in a bubble this year, you're LeBron James. Who are you? Which Lakers roster player are you, are you sending to stand guard outside Daniel House's door and make sure he doesn't get any, up to any mischief in a, in a playoff bubble this year? <laughs> well, hmm. I think the the wise sage advice of Mark Sol. I'm backing. He's not someone who's gonna, you know, give big dog energy. Although he's an, he's a big guy. I think he'd calmly sit down with Daniel and say, "Come on, man. That's this, that's not what we're doing here. We're trying to win a championship." I mean, you potentially might spin a soliloquy in Spanish, um, and really start waxing lyrical about the meanings of life. Um, might also crack some jokes because Marcus is pretty damn funny. Um, yeah, he, he'd be the guy who I think could talk House uh, down from that precipice of doing something a little bit silly in the bubble. How, how about you, Lou? Who, who are you backing to keep House in the house? I uh, I think the uh, the only way to go about it is you station Kyle Kuzma, who's quite popular on Instagram and quite popular with the ladies himself outside Daniel House's door and 
female company might choose to go for the uh, go for a bit of cruise control instead. Uh, I'm going to go on the offensive uh, with this company. And look, I'd love to have Kelly Oubre to station outside there. Um, but at the end of the day, we'll have to settle for for Kyle Kuzma, and uh, and see whether he can fend him off on behalf of Daniel House. There's no and, better uh, deterrent than Kelly Oubre's eyes. No, and before we spend the next uh, four hours talking about Kelly Oubre's eyes, we might wrap it up there, mate. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. <laughs> uh, look forward to plenty more content for us, probably coming up after the All Star break, um, where we can perhaps even break down some of the performances from some of those Pacific stars in the uh, in the All Star game and in the uh, the three point contest. So we'll uh, we'll look forward to that. We'll both enjoy watching Devin Booker uh, try to win another three point shootout. Um, and we'll touch base next week. Thanks, guys. Excellent. Thanks, mate.